Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is entitled Slow Easter. It's based upon the lectionary readings for April 4th, 2021, Easter Sunday. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the closing line of Jesus' resurrection story in Mark's Gospel. I know that Mark's version isn't the popular one. Most of us prefer John's, with its poignant portrayal of Mary Magdalene mistaking Jesus for a gardener and clinging to him when he speaks her name. John's version gives us tension and drama, the rash and headstrong Peter running here and there, the apostle whom Jesus loved peeking cautiously into an empty tomb, and the risen Jesus himself commissioning Mary to become an apostle to the apostles who shares the staggering news of the resurrection with their scattered friends. In contrast, Mark's version is disquieting. We get no glimpses of the risen Jesus. Peter and the other disciples are nowhere to be seen. When a young man in a white robe tells Mary Magdalene and her two companions that Jesus has been raised from the dead, the women don't cry out in joy. They respond with alarm, terror, and amazement. The angel's announcement of good news does not inspire belief or transformation. We witness no Easter proclamation, no narrative arc from hopelessness to certitude. Instead, we witness fear, flight, and silence. This week, we celebrate Easter, the high point of our liturgical year. But given the ongoing pandemic, most of us won't celebrate in the traditional ways we cherish. Some of us won't gather in person at all. Those of us who can will likely sit masked and socially distanced within our worship spaces, unable to sing, share a common cup around the communion table, or enjoy a festive brunch with friends and extended family after church. More significantly, when we chant our alleluias and proclaim that Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, we'll do so in the shadow of the 2.7 million beloveds we've lost worldwide to COVID-19. In the United States, we will celebrate the empty tomb in the wake of two still raw mass shootings, chaos at our southern border, mass unemployment and food insecurity, a deepening crisis of pandemic-induced loneliness, depression and anxiety, and the ongoing scourge of racial tension, violence and injustice in our streets and institutions. As I've reflected on the past year during this Lenten season, I've been struck again and again by the enormity of what humanity has just endured. We've witnessed and or sustained losses on a scale we've barely begun to register, much less to grieve. We're weary, we're numb, we're bewildered, we're sad. We hear what the angel of the tomb is saying to us, and in some deep recess of our souls, we know that the angel's words are the most consequential words we've ever heard. But we are still trembling in alarm. We're still trying not to flee. Maybe what we need this Easter is Mark's version of the story. Maybe we need time, as the women in Mark's account needed time, to sit with the terror and the amazement that must fall upon us when God's incomprehensible work of redemption collides in real time with the broken bewilderment of our lives. Maybe we don't need to shout right away. Maybe it's okay to whisper. This year, I'm allowing myself to practice a slow Easter, 
an Easter that takes root within me as imperceptibly as seeds break into life beneath the earth. Anyone who grows green things knows the process of transformation is hidden from our eyes. Every spring it is shrouded in mystery. It has a timeline of its own and we tremble at its seeming fragility. And yet, and yet the tender shoots break through the soil and new life emerges every time. Likewise, I believe that there is life we cannot see, the life of God hidden within us, tenacious, dynamic, and sure. It might take time to emerge and grow, but the life itself is certain. Every gospel account of the resurrection tells us that the most important event in history happened in total darkness. Sometime in the pre-dawn hours of a Sunday morning 2,000 years ago, a great mystery transpired in secret. No sunlight illuminated the event. No human being witnessed it. And even now, centuries later, no human narrative can contain it. The resurrection exceeds all of our attempts to pin it down because it's a mystery known only to God. Whatever the raising was and is, its fullness lies in holy darkness, shielded from our eyes. All we can know is that somehow, in an ancient tomb on a starry night, God worked in secret to bring life out of death. Somehow, from the heart of loss and misery, God enacted salvation. What I respect about Mark's version of the story is that it honors this mystery. The text does not leap to explanation, to theology, to proof, to joy. It allows the bewilderment of the first witnesses to be exactly what it is. The narrative doesn't rush. So often I wish that we, the church, could be so patient, so nuanced, so attuned to spiritual and psychological reality when we speak and share our good news. Wouldn't our witness be so much more credible if we didn't feel the need to rush to resurrection, to slap smiles and bows on the wounds of the world? Sometimes, when human beings are in profound pain, good news hurts. We find it too jarring, too dissonant, too grating. We can't map it, we can't bridge it, we can't wrap language around it. We literally can't take it into our bodies. Something tender and essential within us resists. At such moments, maybe the most faithful response to the seeming disconnect between Christ's resurrection and our continuing pain is a reverent silence. The women at the tomb waited before they spoke. They led with wounded awe, not cheap certainty. I wonder if we shy away from Mark's gospel because we don't trust the story itself to do its work. We feel some pious need to protect and embellish it. But isn't the good news really this? That the truth of the resurrection doesn't depend on the religious performance or the spiritual stamina of us flailing human beings. It doesn't matter one bit if we believe on the spot or not. The tomb is empty. Death is vanquished. Jesus lives. Period. We are not in charge of Easter. God is. This year in particular, I'm grateful that the gospel preserves the gap between God's all-sufficient work and our tenuous apprehension of it, because it's a gap I know so well. I believe, most of the time, but I don't yet understand. I cling to the resurrection, but I don't know what to do with death's ongoing cruelty. I trust that Jesus reigns, but I don't comprehend the elusive nature of his kingdom. I believe that all things will be well, but I don't understand why they're not all well now. St. Anselm of Canterbury's motto for the Christian life was faith seeking understanding. I like that. It allows me to accept where I am right now. What have I experienced of Jesus so far? 
Can I hang on to the faith that is possible in light of my current experience, incomplete though it is? Can I wait in silence as the waves of alarm, fear, amazement, and hope course through me, bringing me slowly, slowly to resurrection joy? Often, it's only in retrospect, only as I look back at the gravesides of my life, that I see how God has opened my heart to understanding. Poet R.S. Thomas describes the process this way in his poem, The Answer. Quote, There have been times when, after long on my knees in a cold chancel, a stone has rolled from my mind, and I have looked in and seen the old questions lie folded and in a place by themselves, like the piled grave clothes of love's risen body. End quote. We know from the complete witness of the four Gospels that the frightened silence of the women on Easter morning eventually gave way to proclamation. Their alarm subsided, their courage deepened, their trauma healed, and their amazement grew. They learned how to choose hope. They learned how to make the story their own, and as they did, the story blossomed and grew. Joy came, faith came, hope came, love came. And slowly, the glorious truth of a conquered grave and a risen Messiah made its way from their emboldened lips to every corner of the world. The story didn't depend on them, but it changed them, and as they changed, the world around them changed too. The beautiful thing about taking something slowly is that we can savor it. We need to savor life right now, even as death breathes down our necks, the future feels precarious, and many of our worst fears run wild. <clears throat> so receive the good news of the resurrection slowly. Hold it, savor it, and ponder it as closely as you can in this moment. You don't have to force all of its goodness into your wounded heart prematurely. It is trustworthy, and it will wait for you. But when you can, as you can, hear it again. Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. Can you hear it? All that has been taken so cruelly will be restored. Christ is risen. The grave is empty. Love is eternal and death's defeat is sure. Nothing will be lost. Whether or not you can bear this great truth right now doesn't matter. Christ has given it to you. It is yours. For books this week, Dan reviews Anne Frank's Anne Frank, The Collected Works. For her 13th birthday on June 12, 1942, Anne Frank received a diary as one of her gifts. In fact, her first entry is dated that same day. Quote, I hope I will be able to confide everything to you, as I have never been able to confide in anyone, and I hope you will be a great source of comfort and support. That summer, Frank's family went into hiding in an Amsterdam attic for a little over two years, during which time the teenage girl kept a diary of everyday events as a sort of distraction in bad times, and then later as a near obsession. At some point, the eight people in hiding were betrayed, arrested, and then deported to Nazi camps at Westerbork, Auschwitz, and then Bergen-Belsen, where Anne and her sister Margot died of typhus in March of 1945, just a few weeks before the British liberated the camp. Anne Frank's diary has now been translated into over 70 languages. This new collection gathers not only the diary, but heretofore unpublished material. There's what Frank called tales and events from the secret attic, imaginary short stories, fairy tales, and true stories about their secret life in the attic. Another section collects all of Frank's known letters, verses that she wrote in the friendship books of her girlfriends, 
a collection of what Frank called her favorite quotes notebook, and then her Egypt book that is sort of a scrapbook. Of special interest, in addition to her writings, there's a large section of photographs and documents, four scholarly essays, including a short life of Frank and a history of the diary's publication, and then appendices that include another 235 pages. The collected work was published with the support of the Anne Frank Fonds Basil, which was founded in 1963 by Anne's father Otto, the only known survivor of the family, and which is the only organization that enjoys his support as stipulated in his will. The book was published to mark the 90th anniversary of Anne's birth in 1929. In 2018, over 1.2 million people from all over the world visited the Anne Frank House in Amsterdam. For movies this week, Dan reviews David Attenborough, A Life on Our Planet. Sir David Attenborough is now 94 years old. When he was born in 1937, the world population was 2.3 billion. As the archival film footage in this documentary shows, he has spent over 70 years traveling to every corner of our globe in order to document and delight in what he unabashedly calls our former Garden of Eden. But in his one lifetime, he laments, this Edenic paradise has disappeared. Today, the world population is 7.8 billion and headed toward 11 billion by the year 2100. Rainforests are dying, species have gone extinct, glaciers are melting, oceans are warming. All this because of our blind assault on the planet. And, he insists, unless we change our ways, things will definitely get worse. We face a sixth mass extinction and nothing less than the collapse of the living world. And so Attenborough calls this film his witness statement. But we can change, he insists. In the last half of the film, which is less convincing and almost glib, Attenborough argues that it is quite straightforward what we need to do and simpler than you might think. Restore biodiversity, control population growth, raise the standard of living for all the world while simultaneously reducing our impact. Eat more plants and fewer animals. Whatever the case, this film is a marvelous testament to one of, the, one of our most passionate and articulate advocates for our little blue planet. And lastly, for poems, Seven Stanzas at Easter by John Updike. Make no mistake, if he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecules re-knit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. It was not as the flowers, each soft spring recurrent. It was not as his spirit in the mouths and fuddled eyes of the eleven apostles. It was as his flesh, ours. The same hinged thumbs and toes, the same valved heart that pierced, died, withered, paused, and then regathered out of enduring might, new strength to enclose. Let us not mock God with metaphor, analogy, sidestepping, transcendence, making of the event a parable, a sign painted in the faded credulity of earlier ages. Let us walk through the door. The stone is rolled back, not paper mache, not a stone in a story, but the vast rock of materiality that in the slow grinding of time will eclipse for each of us the wide light of day. And if we will have an angel at the tomb, make it a real angel, weighty with Max Planck's quanta, vivid with hair, opaque in the dawn light, robed in real linen, spun on a definite loom. Let us not seek to make it less monstrous, for our own convenience, our own sense of beauty, lest, 
awakened in one unthinkable hour, we are embarrassed by the miracle and crushed by remonstrance. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for April 4th, 2021. I'm Debbie Thomas.